Hi, and welcome to the second chapter, the podcast where Kristen Duffy, the founder and producer behind Slackline Productions, that's me, talks to women who started the second, third, or even fourth or fifth chapter in their lives and careers after the age of 35. If you're enjoying the second chapter, remember to leave us a rating or review. It helps others to find us, and then they can enjoy it too. This week, I'm joined by Joe Robbins. Joe spent her life running from her home, from relationships, from commitment. Her early escapes led her to grooming horses in Italy and Australia, but through finally finding love and starting a family, she learned to stop running and started a new life as a photographer. I'm not confined to an office, nine o'clock in the morning until five o'clock at night, within four walls with artificial light all day. That's just not me. Hi, Joe. Thanks for joining me today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Still recording from lockdown, so it's... there's a light at the end of the tunnel, though. I'm feeling. I'm. I'm just not looking at the news and just keep looking forward and going. Things just going to change, and I don't think they're ever going to be quite the same as they were once upon a time. But maybe that's not a bad thing. It's true. I've had a lot of conversations about: Are we going to go back to this what we call normal, or can we go back to something maybe a little bit better? So you never know. We might have all learned something over the last year. God, I hope over the last year I've learned something. <laughs> definitely been different, hasn't it? I don't think any of us envisioned having to go through a pandemic in our lifetime. Just that was one that was sprung on everybody. I remember when we first went into the initial lockdown, kind of saying, okay, I'm really going to settle down and just say it's going to be at least till the end of May. If I say it's till the end of May and then it's less time, then I'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) I was so optimistic and I thought I was being a pessimist. (laughs) Yeah, no. I know we were due to be going away in the May, I think, and I, my with my best friend and her family. And uh, she said, "Oh, Joe, do, do you think we're going to be able to go?" And I was like, "Yes, no problem. It's, it's going to be fine. Don't worry. It's nothing." <laughs> Oops. <laughs> didn't quite turn out to be nothing, did it? (laughs) Isn't it funny because I'm like, none of us want to talk about pandemic. None of us want to. And then always the conversation starts with, oh, the pandemic. Yeah, Yeah, the pandemic. (laughs) Nobody wants to listen to that. We're all living it. Yeah. It's the Corona coaster, people. We're done with it. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yes. We We will talk about times that did not involve living only in our houses. So you're here because you've had some interesting life and career changes. And I want to talk about all of that. The first thing I know is that you left home at 16. Tell me more about that. I've always been, I I was brought up very, uh, to be very independent. And as a a family, the roles in the family, I took on quite a, a big role as far as looking after, there was, there were four of us, four kids. And I've always taken on I've taken on a mum role and I do that. It's just part of my DNA. I love looking after people. The reason I left a home at 16 was because my mum and dad got divorced or they separated. And about, but yeah, from about eight years old, it wasn't a very nice place to be. So when I got to the age of 16, being so fiercely independent and having had to look after myself and three other siblings, I didn't do it all. My mum did an amazing job, but I'm just a very strong character. So it took on lots of responsibility. Just fiercely independent. Always have been. Always will be. So yeah, so at 16, I, I was just very much, okay, I need an out here because I can't keep doing this. Uh, and I got an opportunity um, I had a a very inspirational teacher, English teacher at school, and I loved horses. So I went to be a working pupil at a, one of the top showing yards in the UK. So packed my bags and we're about half an hour, 14 minutes away from home. And I went to live on the yard and that was just, yeah, I was 
happy as Larry. I had the horses. The horses there were incredible. It was a top yard. I was getting top instruction. It was a tough place to work. You, everything was done to the highest level. And so I worked very hard there. But yeah, I just felt that actually at 16, I had the tools I needed to go and go, to go alone. So I just made that choice because just home wasn't great. Was it something that you'd grown up around horses or like you said, this English teacher was really inspirational? As a kid, I'd be always down at the stables over the weekends and helping out. And, and it was that was always my way of getting away, helping take out rides and just getting involved. I'd spent an awful lot of time with horses. So when I started talking to my English teacher, she knew the Ramses who who ran the yard and yeah she introduced me and and they had an, an opening there so it just it was I think hand on heart it was probably a okay this is a way out because I didn't want to go into further into education <laughs> it was that simple you don't like psychoanalyze yourself at 16 and go why am I doing this but given the opportunity to do something I think we all have this sort of childhood dream of being around horses I think I say we all maybe not but I know a lot of people that had that kind of dream absolutely the surface level is I get to go work with horses but somewhere deeper as well oh, I think I get out yeah but it was just that independence that was a bigger as bigger drive it was the ability to more than look after myself and it was yeah it was an opportunity and it was an adventure who gets to move out at 16 and have their own place although it was a mobile home at the time there's something in that and to go to the top shows in the UK to have all that amazing experience there was definitely that involved with it for sure and we I think at 16 we definitely think we are older than we actually are or more mature I know I was very mature at 16 but looking back it's like I was 16 <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I was a kid but I didn't think I was a kid I I was like, yeah, I am ready to take on the world. Oh, yeah, no, and hindsight's a great thing, isn't it? <laughs> and you think, why make that choice to go out into the big wide world when you can be at home and have all the luxuries and home comfort? It just seemed to me, I'm, I've always gone with my gut, and then I just went, this is a great opportunity. Why not? One adventure. Worst case scenario, I come back. And that led you to becoming a riding instructor and ultimately, I guess, the first international move. <laughs> Yeah, it's a serial reinventor you've got here. So yeah, so I so from there I went to Mess Gentleman and we moved to a riding school and I taught riding. And from there, there are themes that go through my career journey and, and why I've made decisions. But I love looking after the horses. I, I think with the horses as well, I love, I'm an outdoor person and I just love being outdoors. Mm -hmm. And so when I went to teach riding, people, I'm a people person, love looking after people and things, but I love teaching. I, it really gets me excited. And we'll come on to what I'm doing now because I've integrated teaching into that because I just love it. It's funny to hear somebody say, I love teaching, but not... But not in the classroom. No, not in the classroom. But I love, I think it, the, the teaching element of it, I, and I think this goes throughout my career and different roles and things that I've done. But the heart of it is actually, I love bringing the very best out in people. I love spotting talent and going, okay, let's, how can I support you 
in growing that? How can I help you? Or how can I help that person that's in front of me develop confidence, develop a new skill, develop whatever it is? How can I encourage them? And that's what I think I loved about the riding. <laughs> Although I was quite a strict teacher, actually. I remember my pupils used to say, God, you're just going to start shouting at us again. But then when you see somebody develop a skill, it's really exciting. And to see them growing confidence in something, yeah, I find it really inspiring. Yeah, I did that for a while. Then I moved to Italy, because why not? There was an opportunity and at the time there were a lot of English grooms working out in Italy because we were great grooms. So yeah, I went to work for one of the international show jumpers based in North Italy, Brescia, which is just by Lake Garda. And I was there for three years and, Ooh, and that was, nice. yeah, that was lovely. And the food Oh, insane. I think that is the one thing I miss about Italy <laughs> is the food. It was incredible. But that was, what an experience. We were based in Italy, but we would travel to, we went to Hungary, France, Germany, Austria. We traveled Europe. I could talk about Italy alone for ages. Some very funny stories from there. But that that was amazing as well. To be able to travel around Europe with horses, we did lots of national shows as well as the international shows. And it was during the show jumping season. We were away from the yard every weekend. But again, I just love I love being outdoors. I don't mind getting my hands dirty. Yeah, just love it. And horses, just you can't go wrong with horses. I have to say, I'm looking for a good excuse to live in Italy. <laughs> I'm always looking for that excuse. I just love it. And like you said, the food, I think. <laughs> can you want to live a place just because such a glutton for the food? Yeah, I can see grabbing that opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> it was just incredible. It really was. And it's tough working when you're looking after show jumpers. I had six horses. There were two riders and I had six horses that I'd have at home. That was, you didn't, there was no one else there to look after them. You're there. You have two weeks off a year, if you're lucky, <laughs> where I'd come home. So I was away for three years and, and it was very much, yeah, you're there. Because if you're not there, then who looks after the horses? So for chronology purposes, mm -hmm. at this point, what kind of age? frame are we talking about? I was 20 to 23. That's, yeah. Just also out of curiosity, if you're working with this sort of upper echelon of show jumping, you're in this kind of elite world or this very elite world. Mm -hmm. But I can't imagine that as a groom, you were living this elite lifestyle. So what was the lifestyle like being around all of this wealth, but as more of a, an employee? Really? Yeah, I think the gentleman that I was working for, his father owned all of the dairy cows <laughs> for like Northern Italy. He was, oh yeah, no, we were talking, there was plenty of money. To give you an, an example, the horses that I were looking up, was looking after, they were purchased for a million pounds. They were not cheap horses. And, and that in itself brings a lot of, you have to, whenever you're riding them, I'd be working them in before a show. And you're just like, please don't trip, don't fall, don't. <laughs> they didn't go out in the field because they might hurt themselves. Oh yeah, lots of, oh, now, now all the memories are coming back. But yeah, it was a t tough life. You're working as a groom, you're ultimately shoveling poop. But also the other side of it, you get to work with some of the, the top trainers that there are, because obviously money is no object for them. And the horses didn't want for anything. You always had the best supplies. So from that perspective, it was not a bad place to be. And from definitely moving up from a mobile home, we lived on the yard and there were three grooms accommodations and three grooms flats. And they were very nice. They were, they were two bedroom flats on the yard. You're looking out onto beautiful landscape. It was not a bad place to be. But yeah, it's tough. When you're on the road all the time, we, we also had a big horse, horse lorry. 
And that had, you know, that was like a mobile caravan. But again, we weren't lacking anything and it was just a mobile lifestyle. So why'd you leave? Oh, <laughs> uh, why did I leave? I, one of my broken relationships, I, I had, I moved to Italy with, with a gentleman. We got engaged. That, yeah, that didn't pan out and I needed to go. And get a bit of a sense here. I, I like to run. <laughs> I only stopped running when I got married, but I was a runner. So I'd go, right, okay, let's just up sticks. And that was just my default. When it got to a point where I wasn't, it wasn't quite going right, or I, I just wasn't phased by upping sticks and starting again. So I decided to come home and I went and moved back in with mum, who I was with mum for... And I don't know about anybody else who's been away and then moves back home. When you're firstly as independent as I am, that was never going to be a long-term um, viewpoint. It's funny because my partner gives me a hard time when I'm with my mom now. I turn back into a teenager very quickly. <laughs> it becomes, <laughs> my mom and I are fast friends. We get along so well, but I could not go back now or even then. It becomes this kind of like, mom, ah, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm definitely like 14 years old again, even just a couple of weeks. It's, I'm so sad to leave, but I can't stay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm off. So I just did, I did just that. I decided, I was like, well, where do I go now? What do I do now? And uh, so I went to Australia for a year. Yeah, I, I do. I really do. <laughs> to do that, I just make a decision. That's it. It happens. I don't mess around. <laughs> I made a, that's what I'm going to go and do. So I did that. So I jumped on a plane and landed in Sydney and we had a family friend over there who scooped me up from the airport and we went to a place called Stradi, um, North Stradbrook Island, which is just off the coast of uh, Brisbane and beautiful, amazing place. So you can imagine coming from there to landing in this beautiful Australian kind of beach it was, was, yeah, it was incredible. I was like, Good decision, Joe. <laughs> Such traveling opportunity, or did you work while you were there? Or I was, it's a bit of both. It's a, it, I was on a working holiday visa, so you're only allowed to work certain times. I went, did what I knew, which was going, I found myself a yard and went to go and work there. And it was incredible to see, very different from going from million pound horses to horses that are they're out in the field and to watch them work as a herd was it was incredible to see the you know real raw horses in the wild let's and some of them really were mm -hmm. wild that in itself was incredible and then uh, yeah then I you're only allowed to work for a, a specific length of time on the visa that I had so yeah I went to Sydney I stayed in Sydney for about four months in Manly and did temp work oh I had some funny roles there I I stacked shelves between six between midnight did the night shift six until uh, no 12 until mm -hmm. six in the morning that but that worked perfectly because of that when you're young and oh yeah this is amazing because I must have been what 20, 23 24 at the time I'd go and do that at a night time and then be on the beach by 11 12 o'clock you can live on very little sleep right at that age <laughs> or I was seeming to. right and then I worked in pharmaceutical factories, packing athletes' foot cream, just really mindless jobs. But I loved it. When you said temp work, though, because I'm thinking I've done temp work, but it's always been like office kind of stuff. So my stories are like, <laughs> they put me in front of this switchboard with 26 lines. And actually, that did happen once that there was about 26 lines and it was a health service. So I was like, I could be killing people because I don't know how to connect this. <laughs> <laughs> so people would call and I was like, oh. 
I was convinced that everyone that I did not connect properly was going to die. Oh, bless you. That was probably one of the most stressful things I've ever done. I have lasted and held out in so many jobs that were so stressful and so terrible, but I honestly think that lasted maybe a day or two. And I don't remember if maybe it was supposed to be a week and I did last the week, but I never wanted to do anything like that again. Well, I don't blame you. Yeah. So I'm picturing you in an office and instead you're packing athlete's foot cream. Yeah. And working in a pharmaceutical, like putting, packing the tablets, but it was amazing. Again, like I just, I find myself in these places and I'm sat there with three, four kind of call them like grandmas because they just were. So I just sit there, I just come in and chat away. It doesn't matter who people are. I just, and listening to their stories, but it was just mindless stuff. I didn't need to, there was no pressure anywhere. It was just, I'm doing this because it's very, it's manual. It's, I'm, I'm not, I don't have to think about it. Presumably you had only a visa that lasted so long. Mm. Was it another I'm running or was it a, I have to go home? No, it was, I have to go home. I think there was an element of it was time to go home because I, I however messed up family is, they're still family. Family and I was out there on my own and I needed to come home and, and see everyone, which is ironic now because my family are now all over the world. We like to get about us a lot. <laughs> um, but no, I think to answer your question, I, yeah, I came home because it was, my visa was up. Is this when quote unquote real life starts? <laughs> not that it's not all real life. There's that moment when you're like, I have to go home. Now what? Yeah. I came home and I went, okay, I need a career. I need to be generating some money. Like I can't keep working in temp that, doing temporary roles and things like that. That was exactly what I needed at the time. But then was very much, okay, so what do I do now? Because I, I wanted a career. I wanted to earn money. And quite frankly, working with the horses, although it's lovely and it's great, the pay isn't great. And as far as having time off and developing, it's a very kind of, particularly in the the sort of the showing world and the groom world it is a very tight-knit community and yeah I just said to myself no I need to get a career. Were there challenges to that because you'd been traveling so much because I think it's it's a bit different here in the states it's like you finish whatever schooling you do and you're expected to go immediately into a job there's not this idea that you could travel or gap year or whatever but you've spent spent now what eight years or something traveling and having different jobs and so were there challenges around the fact that you hadn't really had an education past 16 and there was all this travel I didn't go to university but I tell you what I did go to the university of life and that is going to teach you as much it's mindset everything it really is and the more and more I now I'm running my own business it is mindset it's what you want and what and how you go about it and no I didn't have quote unquote qualifications that did not stop me never did stop me in fact towards the end of my office-based career I was generating as much money as my husband and some so I didn't have didn't go to university didn't need to did, that's just not how my path went and do not get me wrong there are times when I thought actually have I missed a trick here have I made this more difficult for myself because I don't have a degree or you know this but then surely you look for a solution and that's that's how I operate. When I came back and went, right, I need to, I need to have, I need to get a career. I will, I went into, I got myself an office manager role. I just tempt and I went, right. And that was enabled and I will always be grateful. When I arrived in Australia, the lady that looked after me, 
uh, this lady called Carol Woodhouse, and I will be forever grateful for what she did. She said to me, you're going down, <laughs> you're going down, whilst you're bumming around and having fun and doing all that, you will go and learn to touch type, and you will go and learn office skills, whether you use them or not, you're going to go and do it. And I was like, okay. So I did. I learned how to touch type. I learned how to, you know, word and blah, 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 all that sort of, you know, stuff. So I went into an office. I started as an office manager. Actually, I didn't. I started as a an administrator at a construction firm. And then within not too long, I was then promoted to office manager. And then it went from there. I just kept seeing opportunities and building them. I went to work in a marketing agency, a financial marketing agency. And again, I started, I think I started as an account manager, went up from account manager to account director, worked there for a while, went into burnout. That's the reason I left there because I really was in burnout and I do it to myself. I'm learning when I need to stop. Mm. <laughs> but I do have this thing of I, I go so hard and then I'm like, oh no, maybe I've got a bit too hard now. So then I went to New Zealand and the reason I came back from New Zealand was because my husband flew over and not, he wasn't my husband then, my husband to be, flew over and asked me to marry him, which is why I came back. <laughs> I have to backtrack a little bit because firstly, the thing, the one thing I've learned, I've learned a lot of things doing this podcast and through my own life, but what you said about having a kind of different path, I think we all have people think that there's one path. And what is really interesting about everyone that I've spoken with is that none of the paths are the same. There are the people that go to school because their parents say they have to, and they still end up 20 years down the line, miserable and doing something else because it's never what they wanted. Or there are the people that say, I didn't choose to do it the traditional way. And I went through this and this, and it ultimately led me to this, which I think is fascinating. But there's also this person sometimes, you mentioned Carol. <laughs> Yeah, there's this kind of person that steps in. And for whatever reason, they give that one little piece of advice that kind of influences a path or is just helpful when you need it most. But also you said, Oh, my husband to be came over and proposed that I came back. So I, I need to know a little bit more about this. I was with somebody that we cared about each other enough that we wanted to get married, but yet... <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I'm not sure we've got enough time to cover that one. <laughs> okay. Brief bullet point. <laughs> Brief bullet points was I met my husband in a pub in O'Neill's. And at the time I'd come out of obviously my relationship with the guy that I was going to get married ultimately. So I was not in a good place as far as like relationships or men. I just wasn't. So we became very good friends, very good friends. And I, I guess then that kind of went into, then we were like special friends, if that makes sense. But I refused to commit. <laughs> People that are only hearing this and not seeing it on video, she's, she's doing some air quotes around special friends. <laughs> we were special friends. He'd come out of a relationship. I was out of a relationship. We just weren't in a space. And when they say timing is everything, it, it really was in our case. And, and I think we must have, and again, Miss Independent here, refusing. I don't need a boyfriend. I don't need a boyfriend for. I'm doing what I'm doing. And I'm a very busy lady. I can't be doing with any of that. Being, I think we might have gone out for a week and then I dumped him because I was like no I can't no I just don't need a boyfriend I just don't know so anyway but then we, we so we split and we go for six months and not talk to each other or see each other but then whenever we got back together it was just always so right 
So I, at this point, went, right, okay, I think it was after New Year's Eve. And I was, yeah, I'd said I'm going to New Zealand because I wasn't in a relationship. So I must have been over in New Zealand for about, I think it was about six months. And we were on the phone the entire time talking. And At that point in time, it's it's not like international dialing plans on a mobile phone either. Uh, no. <laughs> and you have to go down and buy the international card that, that would give you cheap per minute. And, and it, it was really, it, it was bizarre because it, we, again, we're very different people. He grew up in and around Sunningdale and their family, doesn't they're not travellers, they're not independent, they're not, they're very exceptionally family orientated and, and lovely. That They're kind of in the village. They live in the village. That's where mum and dad have been forever. Whereas I'm jetting off left and centre and they're just like, who is this woman that has our son is completely <laughs> besotted with. And I think I was just this kind of enigma going, who is this? Because he was on the phone. So everyone was saying, just go, will you just go and see this woman? So he flew out to New Zealand and, and very kindly took me to Fiji for two weeks, which was very nice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was living it then. At which point you're like, maybe I could be with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden I'm like, yes, this could work. This could, this could actually work very well <laughs> indeed. I said to him the day he was flying home, I was like, what would you say if I came back with you? And we knew at that point. So I, I think we, I said that he was flying out the next day and uh, that was about three o'clock in the afternoon. And we had my flights booked back at five o'clock that afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> Flew back with him. Still hadn't proposed at this point because he wanted to ask my dad, which was the right thing to do. And my dad was very, was delighted that he, he did ask him, but the rest is history as far as that, 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 that goes. I'm glad I asked because that is definitely a story. <laughs> So was there any connection back here in the UK? Was there a connection to come back into a job or was it starting yet again? It was starting yet again because at the time I, Steve had a, a job and I was footloose and fancy free and it was pretty, okay, I'll just go and talk to the recruitment agencies and see what temporary work there is, office space this time. And I worked for some of the big agencies up in town. We, then we got married, but I'd been doing temp work up until we kind of got married. And then I fell pregnant with my eldest. Yeah, I had my eldest about a year after we got married. He, he was born at 26 weeks. So that was a bit scary. How small is a 26-week-old? So to give you an indication, when he was born, he was uh, two pounds two when he was born and his entire hand fit in my wedding band. Do you imagine oh. his whole hand? I have a picture of his hand in my wedding band just to... It, he was tiny. So he spent three months in um, the neonatal unit and that was, yeah, that was tough. That was tough. So yeah, we had William and, but again, having, being so resourceful in the neonatal worlds are really interesting, but I put a very project, my project management hat on because it was my way of coping, but you just didn't, you never know when you're going into a neonatal unit, what's going to happen. I could call in the morning or I could call at, say I'd be up at three o'clock anyway, expressing. I'd call then and he's absolutely fine. I call just before I go to the hospital every morning at seven, absolutely fine. But between leaving here and getting to the hospital, he's crashed, he's gone blue, we've lost him, we're bringing him back. It was, it's a roller coaster. It's a total roller coaster because they're just too, too tiny. They shouldn't be here. But he's incredible now. So he's a little miracle, that one. Yeah, so then, so that was, yeah, that was t a really tough time. But again, I was at, at that point working, I'd started working for a, a marketing agency in, just in Wandsworth. And it was, 
my previous agency career had been in financial marketing. And there was something to me, I, I couldn't market mortgages or credit cards. I couldn't m- encourage people to get into debt, which is ultimately, you know, what you're doing. If you're marketing mm-hmm. something, you're saying, okay, how about you take out another credit card? I used to, one of the accounts I worked on was a credit card. I couldn't, there was just nothing that was filling my soul with warmth about selling somebody a product that, that didn't feel right to me. So I was lucky enough to have, again, looking for sort of temporary work because I was still having come back from New Zealand. Obviously, I, I was just temping having or contracting, which was working. But then, so I found this marketing agency and they, it was an education specialist. So we were creating educational content for use in the classrooms and working with sort of the big CSR departments in big corporates in town. So one of my biggest clients was Sky. They have an incredible learning facility at their studios. So we created all the content to go in there and we marketed it to schools. So it was really, it was so valuable because it was, again, I could go in there See, see how the learning and the teaching bit comes in. That's because that was all about seeing kids and teaching kids soft skills like confidence. And they go into these studios and work as a team. It was all like curriculum linked, which justified them coming out of the classroom. But ultimately, they were Sky's objectives were to to build these skills and in. in, in in children. So it felt in that role, like I loved working for that marketing agency because it, it was all about taking big budgets from big corporates, turning that into stuff that's really going to impact kids and help kids. Oh, I adored that. I adored working at that agency to be able to have such a positive impact and just know that what you're working on is helping children to learn and develop skills was amazing. I don't think I would have stayed there long or have moved into uh, the role that I did there if I didn't feel so passionately about it. But to see the impact that the agency's work was having on school children was, it was always my biggest buzz and was why I stayed there so long. And it was from there that I moved. I think I started there as an account director. I went off to have my second child and then I came back. And towards the end of that, I was running, I was client service director and I was running a team, 28, running the accounts department. I sat on the board. I was just so excited by it because it meant I knew I was doing some good. Loved it. Until until you are working on pitches until four in the morning, you're getting back into the office at half past nine, you're then running a department and pitching business and wearing so many hats and coming home to a child that's still on oxygen and something's got to give, something had to give. Before I gave, I was near breaking point and I had to address it. I had to stop. I had to give up something because the the kids weren't getting me and the business wasn't getting me because I was, it was just all too much. So I said, stop. (laughs) How long had you gone on that way? How old were your kids at this point? They would have been about, William would have been six and Henry four. Yeah, I would say probably until they were yeah three and three and five. I'm going back, but it's about that age group. William was at, at primary school, and Henry hadn't quite started primary school when I left. So you said stop. I said enough. So I said enough, <laughs> and I took a year out, which was quite exciting to spend some time with my boys. And it was the best decision because you don't make a, a decision like that lightly. 
from a financial perspective, obviously, there's pretty big you know, implications on that. But I knew it was the right decision when I went to the school gate about a week after I'd finished work. And the teacher says to me, What's, um, is, 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 is something happened at home or is, is something changed for William? Because because he's a completely different child. He is so much happier. He's so much more confident. And I was like, okay, that's priceless. At this point, you decide that you need to carve a career around being able to spend time with yep. your boys. And as much as it's about the family time, it sounds like it was about you too, because your own mental health and your own drive was driving you to the point that you needed you needed to say yeah. stop. How did you get to this point where you're owning your own business and finding a life that you could have it all with family? And I hate that term, have it all. That's not the right term, but yeah, where you could have the balance that you needed. I took six months where I did nothing and, and, and got myself well is what I did. I think I'd put on an exceptional amount of weight because I was eating to stay awake. <laughs> and so I took six months to get myself well and just, just to, to go stop. This is to get myself well is what I did. I then started to explore what I might do. And my husband for a minute suggested that I just get a little job that would, would just tide me over. That doesn't sound like your personality at all. Thank you. <laughs> That was, I was like, I was suddenly like, does my husband actually know me? I was going to say, does he know? Has he, did he, had he met you at this point? <laughs> I think he might have still been in Fiji. Not entirely sure. But he suggested that might be the, the safest route. I think because that's probably one of the biggest differences is I'm, I'm anything but safe. I'm like, let's just try it. If we don't, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but it will work. And then I was like, I had, with all my traveling, I, I was sorting through all of my photographs that I'd taken and, and actually I'd done loads of, in between everything else that I've done. I always had a passion for photography. I, I think that came from my father. He, cause again, he was very, he was very family orientated and he's a bit like, the, he was a bit like a Godfather character. <laughs> I'm not sure that's a good thing, but, and so he, <laughs> You won't be able to see this, but like behind me, these are all our kind of relatives. So my father kept all uh, the old f family photographs and framed them all beautifully. Actually, and then when I realized I have album upon album that I've put together from all of the images that I've from all of my travels, and I've always ever had a, a camera in my hand. So I was like, hang on a minute, why can I not build a business that works around my children with the skills that I have? So I did a skills audit, let's call it that, and go, these are the skills that I have, and, and how can I use them? So I feel like skills audit's your thing, because I had the question before about you came back and how did you find what your career path should be when you'd been traveling and all over? So it does seem like you're really in touch with your, I'm starting afresh, what skills do I have to do what I want to be doing? Yeah. And I think that's come from the university of life. You find yourself in situations that you've got to deal with. You're on your own. And I've been in some hairy, hairy situations and I've just learned how to manage them and cope them. Sometimes they've come out all right. Others haven't <laughs> or others I've slightly more scathed by, but I've learned because it's been me and you have to. You find yourself in a situation and, and it sounds dramatic. It, it's not. It's just the way that I've learned. And it's just, I don't stop learning. And even now, since I've set up my photography business, so much of that is about continuing to develop my skills as a photographer, as a business owner, 
And that's exciting. My best mate will tell you, there's never a time when I'm not thinking something through to create something even from nothing. It's necessity as much as, or it has been necessity at times. My photography business for me, it's everything. Best decision I've ever made. Definitely not the easiest one, but the best decision I made, hands down. I read an interview with you as a local small business photographer, the struggles behind that and how important it is for people to be supporting their local and smaller businesses. Because what you do is family photography, business photography. So it really is about people. What is the benefit for somebody who's either supporting a small business or going to a smaller photographer who really is working the way you do? As a small business owner, what I find is you pour your heart and soul into your business. And I'm really lucky to work with some phenomenal small business owners, particularly locally. And and I'm a small business owner myself. And again, just part of who I am is about supporting them. Um, There's a thing that goes around on Facebook. This is When you buy from a small business owner or a small business, that owner actually does a happy dance. It's so true that by supporting local business owners, not only are you supporting your local industry, your people, families on the ground, because if my business goes well then you know my, my family not happier that's not it's not all about money but it, it means that there's a much less stress in my household that the bills are all covered and, and everything like that but I think another benefit from buying from small business owners is that you get that personal service and I can talk from a specifically from a photography business perspective in that there are some big chains out there just like you've got the big Tesco's you've got your small shops well you've got your big I, I won't name any names you've got your big studios and your big franchises out there that that are modeled in a way that supports them having prior COVID studios and big marketing systems behind them and all of that jazz. And they are priced exceptionally expensive for what they provide, for really what they provide people. And I know that when I set up my business, I did a lot of research on what what sort of, what types of photography could people have? What were people selling that for? What were people buying it for? The reason I set up my business my way was because I don't have a studio. I have no you know, interest in having a studio my entire life. I've been happiest when I'm outdoors um, and when I'm on location and and I'm not confined to an office. Nine o'clock in the morning until five o'clock at night within four walls with artificial light all day. That's just not me. It's a very bespoke service that I provide my clients and I get to know them and I spend time with them before the shoot. I spend time with them obviously on the shoot. It's not a conveyor belt families that come through that it's okay, you've got 15 minutes in the studio time. And and I am by no means, you know, saying that this studio photography is bad. I think everybody should have the photography that their heart desires. And from my perspective, I've just, shot I've been really lucky to have just shot last weekend in fact a wedding for a family who yes in these COVID times but their one of their family members was diagnosed with basically terminal cancer a week before so they had special permissions everything COVID tested up to the max social distancing but actually the power of capturing a a moment and not just a opposed I'm going to stand at the front of a camera and say cheese moment but to capture a document a real moment that someone can treasure is so unbelievably powerful I wish I had more pictures of my own dad I, I do you know what I would give everything I own to have 
more pictures of my dad. And, you know, that's all well and good saying that now, but it's too late now because he's not, not with us anymore. My dad recently passed away and he was a pretty avid photographer. But it's interesting that you say that about wishing that you had more photos of your dad because he was the one always taking the photos. As an adult, I took pictures of him at every kind of fab family gathering. But when we were kids, it was always him behind the camera. A photo really does capture a memory. And, and interestingly, we were not ones to really have a lot of family photos taken except for the church directory. <laughs> and one very specific photo that I remember, it only came out every five years or something or you know whatever. So there's one photo and it's so stiff and posed. And my sister had been ill. She was literally holding a barf bag behind her. She's as pale as a sheet. It's just, it's one of these kind of photos that you're talking about where I remember that we were all miserable. Somebody had been crying. My sister had been throwing up. And there was none of this, what I've seen on your website, or my brother has had some photos taken with his family in a similar small business outdoor world. And it's not these kids running around and capturing a real moment with a family. It's, we must all have our photo taken. Cheese, get this one right, guys. There's so many of us. We all need to smile. Yeah. And and, and I have to say that my favorite, I, I did a self-portrait a uh, family portrait which I set up and then ran into and that for me everybody everyone was looking behaving except granddad who was a pickle but except my son but my son the way that he's looking at me everyone's looking at the camera except my eldest son who's turning around and he's literally gazing at me in adoration and it's just precious and it's not always about capturing what somebody looks like that's one thing okay yeah i look like this and yes i'd love a few less wrinkles and we can sort all that sort of stuff out in post if necessary but mums get in those photos and capture those moments because i'll tell you what i know what my son is thinking in that picture and and i get to see it every day and and that's for me what photography is and what i'm trying to inject into my business because the moment i spend time with my clients they trust me and then they let me in to their family and their story. And that allows me to then communicate their story because I know what I'm looking for. I'm listening to them. And then it's easy. It's easy to capture that. So you mentioned continuing with the teaching element as well. Mm -hmm. Are you teaching photography? Yes. Okay, that was yes. a yes. Yes, yes. And actually, does that have anything to do with COVID times? Because I know that obviously, like you said, short of special permission, you're not in a business that's as easy to run in COVID times as it normally would be. So obviously, when the first lockdown came, and that was, everyone went into shock there, but I was like, oh, well, okay. That means that I can't go and take pictures of people. And because it, it, I love being with people and that was going to be a bit tough. But I'm also very, as a person, I, I stay within the rules. If I'm, I don't find the ways, so I'm very, I have to do my, and again, I'm going to refer to my best friend again. She always makes me laugh because we're so different. She's like a complete pickle. And she won't mind me saying that. Whereas, don't worry, I can be a pickle. I know if there are rules, I have to follow them. And, and I can't lie, like, and I'm I just can't, it just can't, my heart won't allow me to do I'm it. I'm the same. I, I, I was presented with some options. And it, when you're in a place that I've worked so hard to get to where, to start from scratch. So the hardest thing for me was if I'd have gone from, okay, I'll set up a consultancy using all my marketing 
background, contacts, agency. That would actually have been a lot easier for me as far as getting it off the ground quicker. Mm -hmm. But you're starting a business from scratch part time. That's that's hard. And particularly if you're like me, that I'm like, oh, it's got to happen tomorrow. I have all these big dreams. I'm like, well, why has it not happened yet? That's just, I must be rubbish. And it's like, no. I have no patience for my dreams. Like, I'm <laughs> like, what do you mean? I started this business like yesterday. Yeah. And I don't understand why it's not the number one production company podcast. Like, it all has to happen yesterday. I have no patience. So you, under, so you understand. I that. understand. Wonderful. Great. So you, you get that. So I was like, okay, the reality of it is starting a business from scratch. It's it's reputation, it's awareness, it's oh, the good old marketing funnel, it's all of that sort of stuff, as well as setting up systems. And thankfully, I, through my skills audit, obviously like the business piece of it and financial planning and all of that, yeah, not a problem. I think most people would have looked at like, Jeepers, how long have you been in business? I've got forecasts, targets, blah, blah, blah. I've got it down the lot. And then I was like, right, I've now got to go out and market and find myself some clients and I've got to build my brand. And so I love all of that. I have digressed a bit. What were we talking about? It's funny because you said, I said about the patience thing, we were speaking the same language. And then you started talking about forecasts and various <laughs> types of targets. And I was like, oh, wait, we just stopped speaking the same language. <laughs> we were talking about about how the teaching and the, oh, yes. the, how what you did to COVID safe yourself, basically. So I was looking around and, and going, okay, so there was the doorstep thing. And, and that's great, but it just didn't sit well with me. A, because I wasn't allowed to go and see like my in-laws. So I just didn't personally, I didn't feel that it was right that I was driving around, walking, taking pictures of pe other people on doorsteps when I couldn't even see the people that were nearest and dearest to me. So I thought, okay, what do I, what can I do? What's in my skill set here? What can I do? And I toyed with running some beginners courses for adults. And yeah, to be honest, they'd never really taken off. So I was like, okay, I don't really fancy the whole adult thing. So why don't I start teaching kids online? Love kids love teaching. I set up um, an online photography course for creative children. There's another course running in uh, Easter holidays. And again, I, I was in a networking meeting and I was procrastinating about it. And this amazing lady, we were in a classic breakout room and I started talking about it. And by the time we'd finished in this 10 minute breakout room, she said, so you're now going to go back into that meeting and tell everyone you're launching a course on Monday. And I was like, righty ho. And that's exactly how it happened. So there I was, I went from there to, I had a lot of course content already. Uh, so I just had to sort of childify it. And yeah, so there was born my online photography course for kids. And again, I love it. I, I love it because they start, they come in starting off very, I'm a bit nervous, but I'm here because, you know, I, I'm taking photographs. And by the end, they're like, oh my gosh, look, this is the picture I took. And then that, the rest of everyone on Zoom goes, oh. <gasps> Oh my gosh. And I always run over. And I, I, I keep, I do say, because it's all online and invariably you've got parents in the room and the mums are usually in the background going, oh yeah, I quite like this. You know, they have a go as well. So it's like a family thing happens. And, and I'm going to be building on that as I go forward. But there's lots of courses out there that are online and you work through them. But for me, the, the special thing is that they get to, to speak to me and we, I teach them. 
that's a bit boring. I inspire them with a skill from photographic skill. They go away and then take their pictures and then they send them back and then we review them all as a group. And it works in that sort of structure. So what I'm also trying to get the kids to do is learn how to critique, learn how to articulate and and their ideas and things like that. And I just, again, I just, you can see every time I talk about teaching or inspiring, I come alive because I love it. I just love it. You're obviously really passionate about it. And I do think because kids get cameras in their hands, whether it's through their phone or through their parents' lap, there's all kinds of things at this point that a kid has a camera in their hands from birth almost. I like the idea that you're inspiring them to do it in a way that's thought out as opposed to just... I'm amazed at how my nieces and nephews are so fascinated with photos. And yeah, I think given the right instruction or the right inspiration, it definitely will develop into a passion as opposed to just, let me take a picture. Let me see it. Let me see it. Yeah. (laughs) And that's exactly it. The first session is all around learning how to tell stories through your photographs, not just taking snapshots because everyone can take a snapshot, but you want your viewer to think or feel something. And so I, the first course, they can do it with a mobile because it's really, and the reason I did it that way was to, to give them the building blocks before you put a complicated tool like a DSLR into you know a child's hands it suddenly becomes about oh my god how do you get this to work and that comes but once they've got those building blocks of kind of composition and light it's all about light so we have a whole course on where, where's your light coming from think about it and how do you play with it so so they just build from there we will put your, your links in the show notes so that people can find you and if they have kids that are interested in taking a photography course for example they know where to come so i usually don't cheat and ask people about their quotes before we have our conversation but i did ask you about yours and i think now that i've spoken with you for a while it makes a lot of sense but would you share your quote the quote you've brought today yes my quote is Family is not an important thing, it's everything. Because it is, just is. For better or for worse, you've had ups and downs, as you've heard. But actually, a push comes to shove. However driven I am, however ambitious I am, or plain do lally, let's face it. Family is, family's it. Family need me, I'm there. And you've managed to build your business around the fact that you wanted to spend more time with your family. But also, hearing you talk about the photography, it really is about capturing the memories of other people's families. And in a way, bringing them together, not even the photos, but bringing them together for the time with you and... Yeah, like you said, getting to know them. And there's something beautiful about capturing that moment in time. Yeah, I take it as a real privilege whenever I'm editing any, even if it's a business shot, I know they're a business shoot. I know what the business owner's challenges are. I know they're, I know that they place their trust in me. But I just think from a family photography, you're capturing some quite in, intimate moments. And I'll be honest, I whenever I finish the family shoot and I load the gallery, I do the cry test. And if I cry... I know that I've done them proud. I'm glad you found the business for you and the place you clearly are meant to be. Yeah, I think this is me. I'm not running anymore. This is me. And this is this is who I am. I know that this is what I'm supposed to do. So no, I feel very privileged. However tough it's, you know, the challenges. It's it's tough being a small business owner. All credit to every single one of them out there. Support them. Support small (laughs) business. I absolutely agree. It's been a privilege getting to hear your story and getting to know you, but thank you so much. You're more than welcome. Thank you so much for your time. (laughs) And thank you for listening. The second chapter is just getting started, so your subscriptions and five-star reviews mean so much. The second chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions, a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told and who's telling them, with a specific focus on women 35+. 
For more about Slackline, visit slacklineproductions.co.uk. Thanks again.